Our lives have been turned upside down by this pandemic, but we're going to get through this. No peace! No justice! No peace! Breonna Taylor! We're going to know how to be resilient and how to bounce back and how to adapt to whatever life is going to throw at us. Let's use this as an opportunity to create a system that's better than the one that we've been in for so long. We're just trying to think outside of the box for a tough time like this. You can't get this wrong because it's never been done before. All you can do is try. You make a mistake, you fix the mistake, you move forward. That's where we are. There's an opportunity here to change how we do education. So how do we change education? That big question doesn't have easy answers. But now's the time to dig in, to listen to each other and to work on solutions. Because the decisions we are making right now are already determining our future. Plug into GA's new podcast, Bright Future Start Now. We'll talk with real change makers about real issues. And we need you to be a part of the conversation. I'm Blake Odom founder and director of the Motivational Foundation and a youth development coordinator at Vandalia Elementary School. I'm also a Democrat. Thank you, Blake. I'm Pat Tillman, a local business leader and current Guilford County Board of Education member representing District 3. I'm a Republican. And I'm Winston McGregor, president of GEA. I am excited to have Pat and Blake here with me to talk about how we build connection and trust with each other so we can tackle some of the tough issues facing our community. Systemic racism, equity, education funding, facilities. These are some weighty topics that often spark immediate reactions that are polarizing. In November 2020, Pat was reelected to the Guilford County School Board. It was a close race with his opponent, Blake Odom, and Blake lost the race by less than 1%. Now, what's remarkable is that long before the race, Blake, a young black leader originally from Flint, Michigan, and Pat Tillman, a white local leader with a family history in education and North Carolina politics, struck up a friendship. It was across racial, age, cultural, and party lines. Guilford County, and on a larger scale, our state and our nation, are facing tough issues that require dissent and discussion. But you can't have real talk without authenticity and trust. So we wanted to talk to Blake and Pat about their relationship and see if we can't find some truth here for us all. So Blake, let's start with you. You founded the Motivational Foundation. Um, you all work hard to make sure black youth have an opportunity to tour HBCUs and see the opportunities that are out there. You work as a youth coordinator at a local elementary school. You ran for Board of Ed. I mean, clearly you're passionate about kids and about education. Why? Well, a lot of the opportunities that we present through the Motivational Foundation are opportunities that I wish I had um, as a student in high school. So when we started the Motivational Foundation, it really started as a high school trip for a uh, challenging group of seniors in Flint, Michigan, and their class advisor didn't want to take them out of the city, um, <laughs> wouldn't even take them on a field trip. So, you know, we organized with some of the local leaders in Flint and we were able to pull this off. Um, so, you know, when I got to Greensboro, I was very excited to continue the work here because for many reasons, but one reason in particular, Dr. King called Greensboro the epicenter of the civil rights movement. Um, so being in such a historic place, doing the work that I'm doing, which I consider very valuable work and important work, to me, it's like walking 
in the footsteps of a lot of great people who have sparked a torch and, and created a legacy right here in the Greensboro community. I feel like I'm a piece of that fabric. So, My mom and my dad were both lifelong educators. Uh, my mom was a career uh, English teacher and then a media specialist, librarian. They don't call them librarians as much anymore. <laughs> and my dad was a coach, a teacher, and a principal, and then became a, a superintendent at the end of his career. So growing up around the dinner table, you just were immersed in what was going on in the community uh, where I grew up in Randolph County, a uh, very rural, poor county, frankly, especially where we were in our district. And so that just rubbed off on me. It, our dinner conversations and activities were surrounded in what kids had and what kids didn't have. And, and if they didn't have something, how could we get it? They built a brand new middle school in 1978 or nine, right about the time my sister was born. And my dad, it was his school. He was a brand new middle school principal. And I think we were there about every Saturday and some Sundays. He would not like me to repeat that probably, but um, <laughs> cleaning up, cleaning up trash. I thought I was going to get to go like shoot hoops or something in the brand new gym, but um, we were sweeping and picking up. And so education was just such an important part of the daily fabric of my life. So, yeah, you grew up in Flint, Michigan, Blake, um, clearly different than rural Randolph County in North Carolina, uh, at least a decade or more apart from one another. And yet there's sort of this element of service and this belief in education that's common. So do you remember when you first met or how you became friends? Early on, Blake and I, really early on, we started, you know, sort of texting and back and forth. And, you know, I call it virtuous leadership. You know, I, th I think ultimately that's what we're called to do and to be, because I think we've seen, uh, sadly, a real erosion in, in the belief and confidence and trust in our political institutions, mm -hmm. our elected officials, our government, and our leaders. And so right away, I mean, Blake's got this effervescent personality and that jives very well with me. And so two high energy people, and we sort of sort of were back and forth. And then I believe, Blake, um, as I recall, we ended up meeting at uh, Common Grounds for the first time, I think, face to face for a little sit down, uh, just uh, get to know each other there in Lindley Park, That's I believe. Right. That's right. Is that okay? That's absolutely right. right. I was telling Pat, Pat, I'm going to run against you. But I mean, we, we had, you know, talked in passing at the board meetings and texts, like you said. And uh, so when we finally did sit down and meet, it was me telling him, Pat, I'm running against you. <laughs> and, you know, mm -hmm. you're thinking, I remember what you told. Do you remember what you told me that day? I don't think so. I was thinking that we, the subject came up when I left our little coffee and our conversation. I wasn't sure that you were, you know, I know you were really seriously considering it and you were sort of, we were talking about that. And I'm not, I'm not sure what, what I said. He said, if I was um, your age, he said, it's, I have so much respect for you because I'm thinking back to when I was your age. And I can't say if I was getting ready to run against somebody that I would come and sit down and have coffee with them. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I think that speaks to obviously, you know, Blake's integrity and what's really good about uh, politics. I know Tip O'Neill, the famous Speaker of the House, famous Democrat, many, many years, decades was famous for saying that all politics is local. And I just want to add a little piece of that. All politics is local, but it doesn't have to be political. And I use air quotes and political in the, in the sense that in some ways, sadly, we're accustomed to where it can get personal and, and things like that. 
I think we just uh, took it all in stride and we just had a gentleman's agreement that we were going to uh, try again back to that trust and confidence in, in the system and in politics in general. I think people are looking for that. I'm not holding up our election as some sort of model. Uh, that's not for me to say, <laughs> but, but I will tell you it was very refreshing. And um, we got to do some forums and really talk about issues, not quite as much as probably a traditional campaign season given COVID. Uh, but it was really delightful, um, you know, to have those discussions and to, again, you know, see things, uh, you know, through another set of eyes. I knew that I wanted to be politically involved. And I told Pat at one of the meetings, Pat, I'm not going to run against you. And then I turned around and I did run against Pat. So I did go back on my word on that. But a lot of that was uh, just, you know, my where I was living at the time. And I knew that we did need it to shake up our school board a little bit more because we have uh, what I consider in North Carolina, we have a model school district. And sometimes we don't always value what we have. And sometimes when you have an outsider coming in and they're like, oh, this is a gold mine and you've been treating it like a coal mine, <laughs> uh, then, then you know, I think it, it, it's, it's a good time to uh, shake things up politically. Um, so it was like I told Pat, I said, Pat, I'm not running against you. I'm running for the seat. And I just want to ask Pat a question. Okay, good. Maybe it'll be the best one of the interview. Pat, were you a little nervous when those numbers were coming out and I was ahead of you? <laughs> Never. Significant margin? Never. <laughs> Blake, I've been doing this a long time. Never. Not once. Our, our friendship did blossom even more after that. Pat said, this is not, our race shouldn't, is not the model. But I think it could be. Um, because although we disagree when it comes to certain things centered around politics, I think ultimately we are all Americans. We all have the same destination in mind uh, with just a different route. So, you know, you don't have to hate somebody because you disagree with them. I think there's a lot clearly you have in common that you found. I think the, the words about virtuous leadership, you know, really resonate in terms of integrity and how you carry yourself. Well, we got hard stuff to talk about, right? Where we should be disagreeing, I think. Dissent is an important part of unpacking tough issues. Because if we're not disagreeing, we're probably not talking about the hardest issue that we have to face. So I'd love to dive into just a little bit of that. Are there places where we see things differently, where there's some nuance to how we view what's most important and where do we go? And I often like to ground those discussions in a little bit of data. So I went through two places to pull out a little data. One thing I'm going to start out is talking about facilities. So we know that the facilities in our community here in Guilford County have been woefully underinvested in. I mean, we've got the straight building scores. You look at a school, I think it's Faust Elementary has the worst building score of our 125 schools. It's like a 20 out of 100. And, you know, over 70% of the kids at Faust are on free and reduced lunch. 95% of the kids in that building are students of color. Only 5% are white. And we certainly have schools with higher percentages of white kids in bad shape. And yet when you look at the facility scores and really rank it and look at that, it is disproportionately impacting kids of color across our district. So what does that mean for us in how we equitably tackle a $2 billion 10-year plan and try to also layer that equity lens on it. I can just speak to looking at the data. And I think what's encouraging is that for the first time, and I think 
part of maybe how we got there to that disproportionality is because sort of the, the way things were done heretofore, you know, and I'm a student of, of Guilford County's Board of Education uh, and the history and institutionally, it was more of a, this school board member kind of gets things over here and this one gets something over here. And sort of that's a very slippery slope, whether it's federal, state, Mm-hmm. Uh, or local. And so for many, many years, that's what was happening. Um, you look at the makeup of the board for many, many years was disproportionately one one race. So naturally, you know, the louder voices, those with more power and influence, I'm talking about going way back. I'm not shocked that we see that. And it's our job to do right by that and to, and to fix that. I think one of the biggest steps that we did as a board and as a, as a district with the superintendent's um, leadership, is to get a third party to come in and assess it from stem to stern and just take the raw data for what it is. And that's where we get these scores. And, and certainly, you, know, you go down the list and you know, there's a lot to go around there. But I think, I think in part, that's a bit of an indictment on how things were done in the past, really, more than anything, is uh, you, know, you had certain school board members that could make things happen and, and, and had influence and, and power. Whatever, wherever those schools were is, is, what, is what got fixed or what got repaired or built new. And I just want to add, um, Pat, you said how things were done in the past. But when we really dive into the data, and I have really listened to Dina Hayes kind of break this thing down. When we really dive into the data, we understand that the past was not that long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, right. We understand that a lot of decisions made that affect our students today were were made in the last 10 years or so. So the power structure um, of how the squeaky wheel gets the grease, it has operated well into the 2000s. So this isn't like a 1960s problem. No, no. this is a today mm-hmm. problem. And yeah. um, if we really want to just call it what it is, is systemic racism um, and how we have uh, treated our students here in Guilford County. It's not saying one person is racist. It's saying that the system has created racial barriers in how we um, address the needs of our students. Yeah, I mean, I think there's no question. I mean, I think that really was the argument I was trying to articulate is that we don't have to go back that far. But historically, that's how things had had been done. And so there's no question that, you know, you've got those disparities and and, and the the data shows that. So, yeah, there's been a a recommendation to this point. We haven't fully ratified it at the Board of Ed that you just go in order of the building scores and don't do what you're talking about, the kind of political horse trading. Say, well, you can't build all those schools over there in that district if you don't build the same number in this other district. But in truth, if you look at the building scores, there's going to be times where a particular part of the community has multiple projects going on because those are the buildings that have been ignored or not invested in, etc. I also think we're going to have to hold sometimes these really uncomfortable truths um, and just hold them out there, even though we may feel powerless to do anything about it. I was struck when I was going through the list. There's a huge need for a new school in the southwest part of the county because there's been a lot of growth and we have all this overcrowding. And those schools in the southwest part of the county skew white. They're not exclusively. We really have almost no schools that are exclusively white in this county. But they skew heavily white, lower free and reduced lunch. So we're going to build a brand new school over there in Southwest, while some schools that are in really rough shape, 
are going to come later. And we're just going to have to hold those uncomfortable truths and I think keep holding our feet to the fire when we look at it from this historical. I've never looked at things through a political lens, and I've certainly never looked at it through the zero-sum game. Well, because this group of people get something, that means surely the other people are getting harmed. Although that certainly can happen. That's not, no one's consciously sort of, you know, trying to move the chess pieces in that way. I just, I have a better uh, trust in my fellow man than that. But I think it's just calling it out and then addressing it and going, as you say, down the list and looking at it from a completely third party view and addressing those school needs as they appear in in their need and, and severity. How are we agents of change to be virtuous leaders? And that is speaking truth to the past and to what's happened so that we can be better. Blake? But it speaks to we can we can disagree or we can have a difference of opinion about something, but when you present somebody with the facts, there is no disputing the facts. So when you have to make difficult decisions, it helps to uh, relay a message to your constituents. Because I think one thing that we've done politically is we pander to our political base. Um, And whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, a lot of politics in this present day has turned into that, as opposed to political leaders coming out and telling their constituents, I have to make this decision based on this data. You're not going to like it, but here it is. Um, And the more we do that, I think the more we can all move forward together. Yeah, I think moving forward in the range of the facilities piece is how do we make the case for the full investment? Right, Because 300 million is what has been approved so far on the ballot, approved by the voters, 2 billion plus project. How do we create urgency and create the space to really do that full investment so that every school Mm -hmm. across the district is touched um, and done so in a way that people can see that there's some equity in how that's being done? I think what's important now, again, I'll sort of use this uh, same analogy, is is to be really good and a great steward and get this $300 done in a very transparent way that we have efficiencies and we do what we say we're going to do. I think back to that trust and confidence in the system and in leaders is we deliver on our promises. You know, we don't let people down. So Pat, you're talking about let's spend our money wisely. And I couldn't agree more when we're talking about spending $300 million, $2 billion. A lot of conversation about if we spend that in the communities that have been disproportionately affected negatively, if we invest in minority-owned businesses, uh, that changing the economic outcomes for a student can do as much to change their reading scores as investing in curriculum. That's a that's a big conversation, you know, about how we do that. Blake, could you speak to that? I had the opportunity to have a conversation with Dina Hayes, and she uh, painted the picture of Atlanta before the airport. And a lot of people look at Atlanta as one of the black meccas. A lot of old black money lives in Atlanta. Um, And the reason is because when the mayor went out to recruit people to work on this airport, he went and found cement companies that were smaller and said, hey, I need you to come and lay a runway. And they say, well, I've never laid a runway before. He said, do you know how to lay a sidewalk? Do you know how to lay a driveway? Well, then guess what? You know how to lay a runway. And so recruiting smaller black owned, minority owned businesses to come and work in a community ultimately 
did something that we had the opportunity to do here, right? Do right here in Greensboro, Guilford County. We have the opportunity to bring in some minority owned businesses. And what that does is right over in East Greensboro, where that cement company is, where they lay driveways and sidewalks for a living, when they come and work on one of our schools, now they have created a different tax base, if you will, because they're going to keep that money right here in the community. They're going to give our young people opportunities to do some trade skill work. They're going to be able to put money back into the school system as far as we always seek donations from businesses. They're going to be able to donate to the teacher supply warehouse. There's a, a chain reaction effect to investing in minority-owned businesses, especially in your own community. So when we look at enhancing the quality of education, we also have to partner that conversation with enhancing the quality of life uh, because we can build great schools and our students can come into great schools, but then they have to go home at three o'clock. Uh, so if we can enhance the quality of life and enhance the quality of the community in which our students reside, then that will be making us a good steward of the money that we've been given to put back into our schools. And ultimately, that's what we want to do because we give students the best opportunity to be successful. You know, it strikes me, Pat, that that's where some of the real hard work is, because if we use all the same systems that we did before, we're going to spit out some of the same results. So it is that hard work of creating some space and some fortitude to say, well, how would we do it differently and still act with urgency and speed? And that's some of that uncomfortable truth I think we'll have to hold. Yeah, and I think Blake's 100% right. I mean, I think, you know, it's to use John F. Kennedy's quote, a rising tide lifts all ships. And absolutely, I mean, this is a great opportunity to do exactly what we're talking about, to empower communities that historically may have been marginalized for whatever reason. Even things like, well, I think in part of our discernment and decision-making on some of these decisions is ensuring that those opportunities are extended, to your point, Blake, more fully than perhaps they had been. Whether it's figuring out how we can help get people insured and bonded, because you know there are some things you have to do as a business that are required legally, regulatory, and all those things. But we can get through that. We certainly, I believe, in this community, we've got the talent, we've got the skills. We just need to, you know, it's like in, I'm in marketing and advertising, and you know, we have a funny saying that you know someone can be giving away gold bricks around the corner, but if no one knows about it, what good is it? So we've got to make sure we get the message out and that. Uh, again, we extend those opportunities more fully. So we're going to just end with three quick questions. The first is your favorite subject in school. Blake. My favorite uh, subject in school was actually science. My favorite subject was debate forensics. Who was your favorite teacher? Pat. Oh, gosh. It's like, you know, picking a favorite child. My favorite teacher is Miss Lillian Swift, first grade teacher. Blake. My favorite teacher, hands down, and I'm in the process of writing a book about our experience together, Dr. Sharon A. Simeon, my fifth grade teacher. And then the last question is, I believe education is important because. I believe education is important because in a child, it represents the hopes and dreams for all of our entire civilization. The final question is, I believe education is important because. I believe education is important because 
I often think about the words of the late Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King when he said, the function of education is to teach one to think intensively and to think critically. Intelligence plus character is the true goal of education. And with our educators, if we can master that concept, then we allow students to see the real importance of education. Really to put a bow on things is uh, that's what's really, I think, endearing and reaffirms our faith in our fellow man is when you, it's about relationships. I remember the first time when I was first elected, you know, somebody from the newspaper, I can't remember which one was like, what do you really want to do? And what kind of agenda, you know, are you going to have? And I was like, I'm trying to get to know people. (laughs) I'm going to develop some relationships interpersonally and then we'll go from there. But I think in any body, in any enterprise, your church, you know, you're in a business or you're a school board or your job with your coworkers, you got to develop some meaningful relationships at the end of the day. To me, that's success. Guys, thank you so much for being here today and for this honest dialogue. Appreciate your leadership in the community and uh, expecting big things in the future from the two of you. Maybe that Odom, Tillman, Tillman, Odom ticket to come in the next decade. Thanks for listening. And you can help us build great schools by sharing this podcast with others. Let's stay connected. G-E-A-N-C dot org.